Okay, uh, I got two things to tell you about as we start here. Uh, number one, uh, baptisms are coming up in April. Uh, if you are interested in being baptized, uh, sign up in the back. We'll, we'll get a hold of you and send you some stuff. We'll do a couple of baptism classes before baptism so you know what it is and, and all that, that entails. Uh, it's kind of interesting. A lot of people say, I want to know what Jesus is calling me to do. One of the things in scriptures that is black and white and clear is he wants you to get baptized if you haven't been, if you believe in him. It's not like... I'm not a Christian, but I guess I'll get baptized. Jesus said to you, no, follow Jesus, and then we'll baptize you. We'll dunk you in some water. It'll be awesome. We have a huge barbecue. It'll be great. So get baptized. I don't know why you haven't been if you're a believer and haven't baptized. So we're going to baptize you. Sign up. We'll get together with the, the class, all that kind of stuff. The second thing is uh, Element U uh, is Element University. Uh, it is, it's starting on March 5th. Uh, and it, we're doing this whole thing called apologetics. And apologetics is how to defend what you believe. Now, we're doing that at, in a way, because the whole first class is going to be what apologetics is and how not to be a butthole about it. All right? Because we don't want you, we don't teach you things for you guys to go out and be jerks about it. All right? It is, it is we want you to be strong in what you believe so when you share the gospel, you can be like, I know this is true. I know. And so that's what we want to teach you throughout the class. It'll be six weeks. It's going to be really good if I say so myself. Should you? Uh, we don't necessarily uh, need you to sign up for the class, but if you need child care, if you're going to come and you need child care, like you bring, bring a kid. Uh, last time we did this, we, we had all these children programs set up, and we had like 20 babies. And it's like, wow, that's different. So let us know. Uh, you can uh, text at, at that number that's on the screen behind you. You can text at that number. Uh, you can send an email to info at ourelement.org, or you can put it on the Connect card that's in the seat in front of you. And just let us know uh, if, you're, if you're coming. You don't really need to sign up. Just, just let us know uh, how many kids and what the ages are so we can best plan to help you out and us out because it works like that. Go Mikey's Favorite Colors. Okay, we'll see, see how that goes. Uh, welcome to Element. If you are new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. Uh, there are notes inside there that are different from the things that I will talk about. There's also questions on the back. But if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on Live in that. It'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get the sermon notes and the verses and the questions and all that goes along with it. So when I say open up to this, you're already there. It's in your phone or your iPad or whatever, and you're right there and you're ready to go. Why don't you stand with me for reading God's Word? Get started here. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we ask as a people that you would help us, number one, to understand what blessed is. And what that truly, truly means. And understanding how that relates to the poor in spirit and the kingdom of heaven, how that all comes together. And we'd be a people who live the life that you call us to here and now, today, because we have become a blessed people. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so this is our second week of the Sermon on the Mount. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5 or your cell phone and run out your battery. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is the longest straight teaching ever recorded by Jesus. It is also very Jewish, and there's our, there are concepts in this that we don't understand because of our Western culture. We think we do, uh, but we don't. That will become evident as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is central to Jesus' teaching. It is three chapters, and it just goes on and on and on and on. We're going to be in this for the better part of the year. We're going to end right before Christmas Eve. Uh, hopefully, it will be transformation and growth to all of us. 
does. Uh, and we're actually going to take us a while to get out of this first section of the Sermon on the Mount. The first section is called the Beatitudes. Uh, the Beatitudes means the supreme blessing. This comes from the word for bless. And so if you missed last week, we talked all about the word bless and what that means. And so if you missed it, you can go online, you can download it. It's free. You get what you pay for. But it's, you can listen to it, whatever. But this is the idea of happy, fortunate, blissful. Uh, the Beatitudes have two parts to them. It is condition and then it's result. Condition, result. Like if I was to say uh, 80s rock lover, the result would be a mullet or a Camaro from the 80s. Not like a cool one from the 60s, but you know, like a Camaro from the 80s. If I would say spray on tan, the result would be orange, unless you pay for a really, really good one, right? Uh, we could say if you spend more than you make, you're going to end up in debt. Condition result. You're the government. You know, you end up like that. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of enter in. I may irritate you. I may frustrate you. This week and next week and the week after and the week after that all go hand in hand. They all go together. And some of the things that we talk about today and then next week and the week after may sound even a bit contradictory, but they're not. This is a Jewish idea, so we'll begin to explain those things. Because we, in the end, want to be disciples. We want to be discipled by Jesus. Part of that means that we are to be learners, and we want to learn from Him. And so as we start, you've got to remember the words in the Sermon on the Mount. These are Jesus' words. That means they have weight, more weight than our words. It is His world, His holiness given to us in redemption, His hope, and His call. So in Matthew 5, just look back a few verses before that. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, because this is the context for the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 starts like this. And he, that's Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, that's where he was raised, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis. Now, these are two different areas. This is key to know about the large crowd. Galilee and the Decapolis. The Decapolis is a ten-city Greek area that was founded by Alexander the Great. And so you have Galilee, Jewish people, and then the Decapolis, Greek people. So you have the Jewish people, and then you have the non-religious, the non-pure, the non-clean, the non-holy, those who don't follow the Scriptures or even know what the Scriptures are. Are Great crowds followed from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. We would call this a hodgepodge of people. This would be like if you spilled all of your paints into one bucket and stirred it around. That's who all is there. All sorts of people, all sorts of backgrounds. And so in this crowd, you'd have people who were taught from birth that in order to follow God, you were to have nothing to do with those people over there, the bad people, the horrible people. But now all those people, they're in the crowd with you. And you can't get away from them. You don't know what to do. Oh my goodness, I can't get away. There would also be people in this crowd who were taught that the gods lived on mountains or up in the sky. And they're all like junior high girls, hopped up on emotions, who spend too much time on social media and they have too many cell phone minutes. Except they have a lot more power than you and I do. Right? That's how they viewed the gods. They're capricious. And then there'd be people in the crowd who probably were taught that the world revolved around them and they were in some sense gods. They're all mixed together, all listening, maybe thinking if they're going to follow Jesus or not. They're checking him out, trying to see the truth about Jesus and what God is doing. Essentially, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking to America. He's talking to us, because that's 
all the mishmash of people, just like that, it says. And so in this crowd, Jesus speaks, Matthew 5, verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, and that's how Middle Eastern teachers would teach, they would sit down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, the mass of humanity in front of him, he starts with the word blessed. That's why we started last week the way we did. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He starts, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These two concepts are antithetical to each other. They are opposite to each other. We're going to spend most of the time today explaining why. I'm also going to give you a warning, and I've tried to clean up my language a lot, and I haven't said the word suck in front of you for a long time, but I'm going to say the word suck seven times now in this message. Okay, So just warning. I'm just putting it out there. There you go. Uh, A couple years ago, uh, my friend Donald, and sometimes I use that term loosely uh, because of some of the books he gives me to read, uh, he gave me a book by this guy named Christopher Moore. And this book is called Lamb, the Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood Pal. Terrible theology. Okay, Horrible theology in the book. But it's also really interesting because it shows how a lot of the world views Jesus. Christopher Moore is like an American Buddhist. He thinks Buddhism is like, I'm going to be nice and not hurt anything, therefore I'm a Buddhist. And that's not what Buddhism is, by the way. And But he lays all that on top of Jesus. And so you're like, oh, that's a really weird view of it. Anyway, anyway, the central uh, premise of this book is that God is upset with how the church is telling the Jesus story. And so God resurrects Biff, uh, Jesus' little-known best friend, to set the record straight and tell the real story. So the, this angel goes down, resurrects Biff, takes him to a hotel room in St. Louis. The angel then gets addicted to big-time wrestling and soap operas on TV, which Biff then says, this is why you guys don't get free will. Which is kind of funny to me, but whatever. Anyway, and so Biff opens a drawer, and he finds this Gideon Bible in there. And so he sneaks off into the back bathroom, and he starts to read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He reads Matthew, he's a little upset. Then Mark, Luke, and John, he's just livid because they all left him out of the story. Very mad about that. And so Biff, growing up with Jesus, he would call him Josh, was very excited. Because Jesus was the greatest thing, and all the girls liked to be around Jesus. But Jesus is celibate. So Biff saw it as a great way to pick up on girls. Because they all come to Whatever, okay. Anyway, hang out with Jesus, chick show up. So, then Biff tells what really happened in all those years you don't know about in Jesus' life. You know, what did he do up to the age of 30? Well, apparently, according to Christopher Moore, they went to the East and they learned Kung Fu. Okay, now, first off, relax, it's fiction, okay. But, and in the end, I tell you, it's horrible theology. But anyway, uh, at the end, though, of this book, it tells you how he and Jesus, Biff and Jesus, come up with the Beatitudes. And so there's a scene in the book, and they're talking. It's like, how are we doing on those Beatitudes? It's like, the what? You know, the blessings. Oh, and he goes, we didn't really call them that at the time. He goes, we got blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, blessed are the pure in heart, the poor of spirit, the whiners, the meek. You know, wait, 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 what are we going to give to the meek? And Biff's like, well, to the meek, let's give them an attaboy. Way to go. And Jesus is like, that's a little little weak. Let's give the meek the earth. And Biff's like, you can't give them the earth. Give it to the whiners. Well, let's get rid of the whiners, and we'll give the meek the earth. That makes it all better. Great, great, we're done. He says, you know, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Well, what do you give them? And Biff's like, give them a fruit basket. That's awesome. People like fruit baskets. And Jesus is like, you can't give the meek the whole earth and then give them a fruit basket. Let's give them the kingdom of heaven. Well, you can't do that. We gave that to the poor in spirit. And the book kind of goes on and on of these kind of things. But really, for a lot of people, that's how the Beatitudes sound. It sounds like, here's this thing, and I get this thing on the other side. What do I do to get that reward? How do I get it? It sums it up for us. Nice little things that Jesus said. They sound kind of groovy. Oh, I went and saw God's bell, and I sang the songs, and so now I get these things. Oh, it's so wonderful. 
Right? You got to remember the context of where Jesus is speaking and what he is. It's very, very important. There's a huge crowd, tax collectors, religious people, prostitutes, sinners, Gentiles, Jewish. You have those who are considered really, really spiritual and those who are considered not spiritual at all. And Jesus steps into this and he starts with these words on purpose. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This idea, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, it goes hand in hand. The kingdom of God is theirs, meaning it is available to them. It's falling on them. It crashes into earth on them. Now, the term poor in spirit, it is a negative term. It is not a positive term. It's like they are the losers. Uh, like, like when we used to say nerds, nerds were the losers. Today, they're not losers anymore. That's, they own Microsoft and things like that. But, you know, so it's, it's not like that. It's, it's the spiritual zeros. It's, it's those who are at the end of the rope. Dallas Willard calls them the bankrupt, the pathetic, the lame, the out of it, those without a trace of good, the morally empty. In one sense, it is not a good thing to be poor in spirit. It is not supposed to be something you strive or want to be. It'd be like this. No one strives all their life to buy a house in hopes that they can lose it to bankruptcy. No one goes out to buy a new car in hopes that they can lose it to the repo man. No one gets married and on their wedding day hopes that they're going to get divorced one day. No one searches for a friend just so they can hope one day that that friend will betray them or they could betray their friend. No one wants to be poor in spirit. A lot of people end up there, but no one is supposed to seek it. It's not a condition you're supposed to want to attain. It would literally be like saying, boy, if I can only become a rapist... It's just like that. Now, it's like, and if that is you, you need some help. Okay, we need to get you some help. It is, in a backhanded way, blessed are those who need God and don't even realize it. Blessed are those who really need God and realize it both. And you may say, well, well, that could be good, you know, if they realize how much they need it. But this would be more like the guy who's addicted to pornography, and he can't stop clicking the mouse on those websites, no matter how hard he tries. And he wants to stop, and he keeps clicking, but he... Oh, he wants to stop, and he feels horrible and awful and terrible, and he realizes there is no way out. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you understand that God isn't a crutch for weak people, that the only, he is the only way we stand, he's the walker, he's the wheelchair, he is everything. It's for those who are humble enough to realize we actually need it. And not say, oh, look at me, I'm so humble. Jesus is turning everything upside down. It is shocking, it is comforting, and you've got to spend some time with that. Again, poor in spirit is not something you should want to try to become. There's nothing really praiseworthy about being poor in spirit. He's not giving some praiseworthy condition where people are then to celebrate what they are. I'm poor in spirit. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, that's what it's like. There's nothing good in the condition. Then when Jesus says blessed, it's this word makarios, and it means like happier, happier. In context, it could be God is with you. I mean, how Jesus uses this, it is simply epic, wholly rounded. Fortunate are you because God has not forgotten about you. That's what Jesus is saying. Fortunate are the pathetic and the lame because God is on your side. Jesus is making an announcement that is fundamentally different to how any teacher had ever explained anything about God. He is not giving instructions. Here's how you get the blessing. Here's your seven steps. Here, read this and pray that ten times. And it's not a command. He doesn't say, here's what you need to do to, to be blessed. It's not blame. It's not even really teaching. It's not good information to know and write down. What it is, is simple announcement. It is simple announcement. Remember that old song, if you're happy, you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy, you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy, you know it, your life is really show it. If you're... 
About five people did that last service too. Yay! Way to go. You went through kindergarten. That's wonderful. See, the, the announcement is, is not, you know, if you, if you suck, you're blessed. It's kind of this idea, if you suck and you really know it, you're blessed. That's, that's the idea. The Sermon on the Mount starts with this idea that God is on the side of those who have no reason to be, for God to be on the side of. And that's all of us. That is every single one of us. Blessing is available even to you. Now, anybody here, you ever go skiing or wakeboarding? Okay, good. So for half the room, we'll kind of explain this. This is how it works. Uh, if you go out the first time, you're sitting in the water, everybody in the boat's trying to give you advice. Okay? You're in the water, everybody in the boat, all chiefs, no braves. Okay? All in the boat telling you what to do. And the main piece of advice they give you is, it's not a problem. Just let the boat pull you up. Do the work. Whatever it is, that, that's what it is. And the person in the water is like, that doesn't help me. I don't know what it means. I don't know what that means. Because the goal is really to get you up on top of the water so you can ride around like a rock star, like I'm in a Go-Go's vacation video, you know, kind of thing like that. 80s. Right. I had a mullet. Okay, anyway. The fundamental way you get up is kind of counterintuitive what you're supposed to do. Because to get up on top of the water, it's not really to try to get up on top of the water. To get up, you've got to stay down. To move forward, you've got to stay back. And people learning, they get pulled over the front of their wakeboard, their skis, do the splits like they're in Cirque du Soleil, and they never let go of the rope. I don't know why. It's like, whoa, boom, oh, I'm down. And they just hang They're like a dog with its leash caught in the door, and they just keep going. And everybody in the boat gets it on video. Posted to YouTube, million hits later, this is my dumb friend. He's poor in spirit. Send it off. And every time the boat circles around the person, they keep saying, let the boat do the work. Let the boat pull you up. Now, if you've ever done this and you've taught somebody how to do it, you can see the moment it clicks because they start to get it. Someone sits back and they're coiled and they're firm and they learn to trust this counterintuitive impulse that the way I'm going to go up and forward is to stay back and down. Then the boat pops them up and takes them out of the water. And then the next day, the person who struggled all that time is sitting in the boat telling everybody else, hey, let the boat do the work, dummy. It's kind of funny. It's, it doesn't work like you think it should. It's like Superman's bizarro world. It's like the exact opposite of everything. But when it clicks, when you get it, you can never imagine doing it any other way because it's just how it works. When Jesus makes this announcement, it is counterintuitive because our first impulse is to say, what is the good thing in the condition of being poor in spirit that deserves the blessing of God? That's a religious Response, that's how religion functions. What good thing in this bad thing makes me deserving of God's blessing? The announcement is blessed are those who have no reason why they should be blessed. Blessed are the alcoholics and the thieves and the atheists and the philosophy instructors and the used car salesmen and the morally empty who couldn't tell the truth if they had to. The favor of God pours out on those who have no reason to deserve the favor of God and that is all of us. See, we, what we have to understand is that if at any moment the blessing is for anyone who has somehow got some good in them, who figured something out, then the favor of God is predicated on you and your performance. That is every other religion in the world. That is not Christianity. Christianity is based upon the person of Christ. The announcement that Jesus makes to this massive crowd of people is blessed are all the people who have no reason why they should be blessed. That is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's terribly confrontive to religious people because every religious person thinks it's because of something I did. I've got to do these certain things. And Jesus just obliterates that. He destroys it. Blessed are those without a wisp of religion because there's the kingdom of God. Now, our question becomes why? Why does this happen? Why? Uh, Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. 
We want to say, what's the thing in the condition? And Jesus doesn't give much in the way other than because God is simply like this. And so the scriptures will tell story after story after story all about this. You know, that doesn't really answer the question other than this is who God is. It's not rooted in, oh, because these people did this thing. It's rooted in God's choice. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 15, Jesus, he is at a dinner. At a dinner with some people, and this guy says this. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. What this guy says to Jesus is, Oh, Jesus, blessed are the really, really good people, the orthodox people, the obedient people. This is Jesus' response, verse 16. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at that time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Now, the Jews would understand this to be, oh, the great banquet God's going to give, and we are all supposed to be there because we're really religious. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. You would never buy a field without looking at it or inspecting it. Have you been to our field that we bought? I have. I've driven over it. There's gopher holes everywhere. I have inspected uh, the field. He goes on, uh, verse 19, And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. You would never buy oxen without looking at them. You wouldn't go buy a car without test driving it. And if you do, you walk away going, I hate this car, because you didn't test drive it. You test drive the dumb thing. Verse 20, And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And I'm thinking, okay, that's legitimate. He's having a lot more fun anyway, Okay. He's good. He's good. Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. He says, Bring in the poor in spirit. That's who you go and get. Those people who would never be invited to the banquet of a rich person. You go out and get them. You bring them in. But if you take a step back, why is the guy throwing a banquet in the first place? Why does he do it? To bless. It is simply who he is. It is simply who he is. Go to uh, Luke 17. Three chapters over. Jesus is walking on the road to Jerusalem in Luke chapter 17, verse 11. And it says, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and again the place where no religious person would go, and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Why does Jesus heal people with leprosy? Most religious people, if someone who had leprosy was like yelling at them, they would ignore them. You have leprosy because you did something wrong. And God is mad at you and he has stuck that disease on top of you. I'm not going to look at you. But Jesus stops, he listens, and he heals them. Why? It's who he is. It's who he is. Go to Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. See, I'm keeping it in Luke. I'm making it easy for you. See, just to the right. You're good. Luke 19, verse 1. He, that's Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, there's nothing wrong with him being rich. It's how he got his money. As a chief tax collector, he would take money from his own country. He would give it to a foreign oppressive government and take extra for himself. That's how he got rich, and that what, that's what was wrong about it. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. A little guy. Verse 4. So the Enron executive, Mr. Bernie Madoff, he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must be at your house today. Now, there is huge social stigma attached 
attached to Zacchaeus. It is incredible that Jesus would stop and even talk to him. I mean, this, this is the guy that, that like normal religious people would look at and say, not that guy, he's horrible. Why does Jesus need to stay at the house of someone like that? Because he's poor in spirit. That's why. Because we all are. See, you constantly find in Jesus fellowship, favor, and embrace in the person of Christ. Poor in spirit. In 1974, there's a man, his name is Philip Petit, and he and his friend snuck up on top of the Twin Towers and put in a tightrope and walked between the towers. I'll show you. Here's a picture of the Twin Towers when they were still up. Here's a picture of him walking across on his tightrope. There's another picture. There's the tightrope. I feel like my feet are going to give out right now. There's a picture of him walking across. Okay? Now, uh, if you have Netflix, you can actually watch this whole thing about the documentary of what they did. And how, it's called Man on Wire. It's free if you have Netflix. You, you can watch it. Uh, and so it, this whole account is how they pulled this thing off. And when he was a little kid, he would see pictures of these twin towers going to be built and done, and he drew a line between them, and he was like, I'm going to walk across those. That's what I'm going to do. So after he, he walks across, the police arrest him. They don't know what to put on the police report because there's not really a thing for that. And so they wrote Man on Wire. That, that's what I got arrested for. And that's why they called the documentary Man on a Wire. And so they asked him, why did you do this? Why? Why? What's it? His response is, there is no why, there just is. He, he's French, so that's his way of trying to say that in English. What he's essentially saying is, that's why I was born. I was made to walk across these things. I saw them, and everything in me said, I need to walk across those towers. That's who I am. That's how he thinks he was made. Why does Jesus present teaching about who God is to this eclectic mass of humanity in this way? You've got, you got all these crazy ideas about gods and worldviews and religious views. And yet he announces the kingdom of God as blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who haven't kept the covenant. Blessed are those who don't even know what the covenant even is. To those who don't deserve the blessing of God. God's blessing is here and it's available to you. Why? Because that is simply who God is. Now, we want to say things like, no, 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 surely God blesses the hardworking. I mean, this is Santa Maria. We're blue collar, right? We work hard and, and well, so God's got to bless those people. No, 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 God blesses the morally upright. That's who God's got to bless. No, no, God blesses those who makes, you know, the exact right confession of faith in the, in the exact right way. God blesses those who went to the right schools or had the right education. No, no, God blesses those who recycle. And eat heart healthy and take their own bags to the grocery store. That, that, that's who God blesses. People don't smoke and cuss and chew tobacco. God blesses those who hate Richard Sherman. There's a Super Bowl joke for you right there. Isn't that who the favor of God is for? Isn't that who it's for? You know, if true, that says that God's love is for those who can earn it. That's what it says. If you look down on someone else because they are not like you or because they made stupid decisions... And you're like, I'm not going to help them. Look at those stupid decisions they, they keep making. In that instance, we have essentially become rich in spirit, and Jesus' announcement means nothing to us. It doesn't make any sense at all. The gospel announcement that Jesus starts with is, in your pathetic, messed up, confused, morally questionable state, God has reached out to you, and he has offered you blessing. Because before the gospel becomes theology, or a way of life, or a system, or anything, it is simple announcement. The gospel is, do you suck? Does everyone around you think you suck? And most importantly, are you humble enough to admit that you suck? Well, blessed are you, because yours is the kingdom of God. Heaven is on your side. God sent his one and only son to the world to save it. And that includes you. 
Jesus starts his sermon. Not way up here with lofty, lofty things like here's the big theology. He starts way down here. Just simple. Simple, so everybody gets it. If you think, you know, you're out, God's blessing longs to be poured upon on you. You cannot earn it. It is an announcement of who God is and what Jesus is essentially going to do through his death, burial, and resurrection. The kingdom of God is available to those who don't deserve it. And if at anything, in any moment in you says no, it's for good people, well, then you become rich in spirit and you will miss the announcement. You cannot miss Jesus in his very own teaching. Now, uh, a while ago, I, I heard someone give an analogy of this. I thought it was really good, so I'm going to steal it and give it to you. Um, there's a movie that came out a few years ago. I didn't like it because it was really, really slow. But it has a great scene that really illustrates this. And this movie is called A History of Violence. It's by a guy named uh, David Cronenberg. It's about Tom. And Tom is a guy who has a history of violence. Thank you. One person got it. Okay, whatever. All right. Anyway, that's, that, that's the point of the movie. Uh, Tom seems like a normal, small-town guy. He runs a diner. But as the movie progresses, you find out Tom has a past. And as you watch this as the viewer, and I'm giving it away really quickly because... My summation is better than the movie because the movie is slow. Okay, it's really, really slow. I am ADD, but it was still really slow. But as you go through the movie, you start to question, you know, is Tom really this guy or is he not this guy? Oh, no, no, he's just a diner owner. Why do they think he's this guy? Oh, no. But eventually you find out, yes, Tom is that guy. And his wife finds out that Tom, this good man, has a past. And you realize that Tom has killed lots and lots of people. And Tom goes back to his ways of killing and blood and violence. And more blood increases as the movie progresses. His history of violence becomes his present of violence. And he realizes in the end he has to kill a whole lot of people in order for his family and his life to be safe. And by the end of the movie, Tom essentially kills everybody. Everybody. His wife's heart is broken as she realizes that Tom, her husband, has never been honest with her. And once he has killed everybody from his past that knows his true past, there's a scene where he comes home. And Tom has literally just washed the blood of his enemies off of his hands. He has broken trust with his wife and his kids, and he comes in the door of his house, and the question becomes, how is this going to get any better? And the scene is about two minutes long, and I want to show it to you. There is no dialogue in it. It's just quiet with a little music in the background, and I want you to see. Here's, here's the scene. That's how the movie ends, like that just cut to black screen. And you think, well, what about trust? Does this marriage find a reconciliation? Does it all come together? He comes in the kitchen, The film it's, it's dark because the whole film is really dark. His wife really can't even look at him. Tom's in pieces because he is poor in spirit. He's poor in spirit. He's a dishonest killer. And what's you know, the response in all of this? Because the path to reconciliation is going to be paved with humbleness, the seeds of humility. You know, his son doesn't really want to look him in the eye. His little daughter with you know, the, the, the act of faith kind of gets up and takes that plate and puts it in front of him. You know, his son's like, you know, pushes the food over. This is the idea. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit because there is a place at the table even for them. You know, blessed are those who have just washed the blood of their enemies off of their hands. And so will his family have gospel for him? Because gospel is not just a noun. Gospel is what we do. It's what Jesus has done for us. It's, it's a verb. What about his wife? Is she going to have gospel for him? Because, again, it's different than reconciliation. It's different than working through all the hurt. It is just simple announcement. It is available. Will she announce? And she looks him in the eye, and his eyes, all tears in him, and he's like, even me? Then the film just goes dark. Now, David Cronenberg says that's a prelude to a yes. The answer to that is actually yes. So, ah, take it. <laughs> you know, we're a little happier with that. 
But this is the idea of the Sermon on the Mount. If you are lost, if you're in a place where you're like, even me? The answer is yes. Even you. The pronouncement of the kingdom is for all people. Are you poor in spirit? God is with you. God's calling you home. And that is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died the the death that we should have died. He paid for all the sins that separated us from God. He rises from the dead to give us life that we can never attain and offers there for us. And this is how the Sermon on the Mount kind of goes. Because as soon as Jesus says this, the very next thing he says is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Because once you understand your, your place of poor in spirit, you begin to mourn because of your sin and what separated you from God and what Jesus had to die for. And you're like, oh, and Jesus says, you'll be comforted, blessed. You're going to be comforted when you realize that. We're going to talk about that, that next week. Next week's going to be kind of heavy. I'm going to warn you now. Come back, though, okay? Seriously. This, this is why at Element we do communion every week. It is this reminder of what Jesus has done for us. It is the announcement of his blessing. You know, we, you know, if you're a believer, we invite you to take it. We break that cracker, which represents his body that was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and I so that we can live and be this people he calls us to be. We are blessed. The announcement of the gospel is that God paved the way. God has sought his people. Jesus has redeemed his people. And we stand back in amazement at what he has done. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you to take communion. There's going to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer this morning, if you're in a place where you realize, I am poor in spirit, I am lost and destitute, is, is this grace even for me? The answer is yes, it is even for you. If you are someone who thinks, no, 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 it's only for the good people. Well, you need to get some prayer too. (laughs) I've got to repent of that attitude. Because Jesus calls us to be a people who offer the grace of who he is to those around us as well. It is all predicated in his person. And when we understand that and that goodness, it can't help but to change us. We can't help but to be a different people. It's, again, why next week goes into the place where it starts. Blessed are those who mourn. Because your God is that good. And so we come to the place where we say, wow, God is that good. So I invite you to pray. Somebody, if you need, if you need prayer, uh, there's offering boxes on the side of all in the back. And we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. If you are here last week talking about blessed, it's raining outside right now. Bless the Lord for the rain. Yay! <laughs> Don't have to water my lawn tonight. Yay! <laughs> Uh, there's also food and stuff in the back. We invite you to grab something to eat, meet some other people. Maybe someone will invite you to their house for their Super Bowl party. Go your favorite colors, right? You know, and then maybe they have like a 13-inch black and white TV. Blessed are the poor in spirit. <laughs> then invite them to your house. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is the idea, guys. God has been so good to us. We must be a people who live that blessing that everybody else we come into contact with. Because he is that good. And that should change everything. Our God is a God who has redeemed his people. And we live that redemption in everything we do. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we be those who understand what you have done and continue to do. That you have sought your people and saved and announced blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Because quite frankly, Father, we had no reason to be blessed. None. And you saved us anyway. And so we stand amazed of who you are, of the goodness that is you. And I ask that we would begin to see the world as you do. That we in the same way would offer that same hope and grace that you have offered to us. And that people would come to know and love and worship you because of how we know and love and worship you. That people would see the truth of the gospel because of how you have blessed your people. Not in this idea of monetary things, but you have blessed us from the death that we had kept running headlong towards and you've pulled us out of our own selves and set our feet on the solid rock that is you and call us to live something greater than we could ever imagine. So today, teach us to understand our own poor in spiritness to offer grace to those around us who we see as being poor in spirit and to live lives of humility that honor you as our God. Thank you for loving us, redeeming us, changing us. Have that be evident in how we worship and love you back. We ask these things in your son's good name. Amen.